Back in the 80s, I lived in Dallas. One of the hardest days for me in Dallas was the day that the Bears were playing the Cowboys in the playoffs down in Dallas in the early 80s. Four times in that game, they had the ball inside the 10-yard line of the Dallas Cowboys, and they couldn't score. It was, the Cowboys won the game. It was deeply frustrating for us Chicago fans and the Bears, and I remember watching afterwards as one of the local uh, Dallas uh, sportscasters went into both locker rooms and asked the same question of both teams. Why couldn't the Bears score when they were four times inside of the 10-yard line? Remember in the Bears locker room and the frustration and the heads just kind of down and shaking and said, I don't know why. When they went in the Cowboys locker room, it was, it was amazing because this is what a player said. I can, so why couldn't the Bears? He says, I can tell you why. It's because they do the same thing every time. We studied the films, we knew it, we got ourselves ready and we're able to stop them from scoring. And do you realize Satan is much like the Chicago Bears? He uses the same plays over and over and over again. And if we take God's word and study the pregame film, so to say, and we learn about how Satan normally works, we can get ourselves ready and prepared and recognize when that's coming so that we can win the war with the devil. So this morning, I want to share with you three of Satan's favorite plays, not his only plays, but they're three that he uses over and over and over again. And as we begin to know them and become familiar with them and prepare ourselves with, for them, uh, we can find ourselves in a better position for victory. So let me open us in prayer. Father, I want to thank you that the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. Lord, we've already been able to use worship. Lord, right now we're using prayer. We're going to be using your word here in a moment. We have the fellowship with one another. We have so many things happening in this room on this day. And I want to pray, God, that you would work through your word, your spirit right now to do things to release your people because you say that if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I want to pray today that it wouldn't just be a Bible study, but that Jesus himself would use his word by his spirit to speak to our hearts, to set us free, to prepare us, and to just uh, win the victory in our lives for your glory. So Lord, we make our declaration of dependence upon you to do things in this room during this time that only you can do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is the first play that Satan uses. He loves to confuse our plays from God. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. When you say our play, you know, confuse our, what's our plays? Well, our plays are what we get when we're in the huddle with God in his word. <laughs> And here I am, I'm studying his word, whether it's personally or listening to somebody else on a Sunday morning. It's like I'm in the huddle with God 
and I'm reading his word and I'm hearing from him the plays of how I should be living my life if I want to live this life well. And so I leave that huddle and what does Satan do? Well, Satan tries, as you know, as a player goes back to the line after the huddle, he's at work immediately trying to confuse us and twist and cause us to forget the plays that God wants us to live out in our lives. We see this with Eve, and there's three parts to this first play. First of all, he twisted the word. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, and what God had told Adam. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. There's the generosity of God. Any tree in this garden you guys may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. God put in front of them an entire field of trees and fruit that they could eat, but he said there's one that you shouldn't eat from. Now, chapter 3, verse 1, if you flip over there, I want you to note how Satan twisted the word as he was working with Eve. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. You see what happened? <laughs> Here he is. He's trying, you know, trying to confuse and twist what God said. God said, you can freely eat from all of them, but one. Satan comes and says, hey, didn't God say you can't eat from any of the trees? And so Satan is still working today to get us to get God's word wrong and to be confused about it. And he's going to do anything he can to keep us from reading this book, from maybe listening to it as we're driving and, and hearing it through the means we can hear it today, from studying this book so I get my plays real clear, from memorizing this book. I'm glad to hear Justin Fields of the Bears quarterback man, even before he got here, he says, he's working on the playbook. He's getting that thing down. He's studying it. He's memorizing. It's the first step he's taking. And guys, we got to memorize and learn and study our playbook on the way that God would have us live our life and meditate and think on it. So the first thing he did was in this play to confuse us was to try to twist what God really said. Second of all, he tampered with the consequences. Look at back if we don't follow the play that God gives us. Look at back at Genesis chapter two. In verse 17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now you go back into chapter three, verse four, and what did the serpent say to the woman? You surely will not die. Again, here's Satan, now he's tampering with the consequences. It's not that bad. I mean, this is the way he does it today. Oh, come on, it's, look at around, others are doing it. Their, their, their life isn't, being, isn't falling apart. Now, the thing we don't see 
is what is happening in their soul and their relationships when they violate what God tells them to do. We don't see down the road the consequences. We don't see in eternity the consequences. But Satan goes, oh, come on. It's not that bad. And so here he is. He's, he's con- trying to convince us this is not that bad. You know, he'll even use the spiritual. Come on, God is a forgiving God. He's a gracious God. He understands. He remembers that you're just dust. He loves you. You know, you know, God's a forgiving God, but this is what he leaves out of the conversation. Because it is true that God is a loving God, and he does know that we're just made of dust, and he does uh, forgive, and he does give grace. But what Satan left out of the conversation is sin is its own poison. <laughs> you see, when we sin, it isn't that God's gonna slap me in the head because I sinned. It's because Satan got me to drink the poison that will destroy my own soul and my own relationships and I'll reap what I sow. And so Satan leaves that out of the conversation about the fact that you're gonna reap what you sow. And so Satan, he starts by confusing what God says, then he tampers with the consequences, then he tries to get us to doubt God's goodness. We just sang about it. I see his goodness all over my life. And I do, when I sing that, I I can worship God with that. But then we get in the moment. And he tries to get us to doubt God's goodness. He's saying, you know, God's holding something back from you. If you just had that, then your life would be complete. Then you'd be okay. Look back at the text. Chapter 3, verse 5. After telling uh, the woman that you surely will not die, Satan said this, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God's holding something back from you. He knows you'll be like him. He knows you're going to know good and evil then. You know, this God you say is so good, he's holding something back. And if if you just have this, then your life will be complete. Then I'll be full. And I gotta ask you to fill in the blank. Where does Satan do that to you? I've been asking God, where does he do that to me to say, if I just had this, then I'd be complete. Then I'd be okay. Because that's where Satan is trying to get me. And all of this is heading on to the place where he wants us to drink the poison, take the bait, so that we can destroy ourselves. Look at what he says in verse six. Because once we, he's confused the play, he's tampered with the consequences, he's made us question God's goodness and say, there's something I'm missing that I have to have. This is what happened in verse six. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, She took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The consequences were great. 
they did die, that they, they died spiritually. We've talked about that before. But let me tell you what else happened because they ate the bait. This is a couple that was naked, nothing hidden from one another, totally uncovered and unashamed. And when they sinned, they moved from a place where now they felt they had to cover things up from one another. <laughs> and there was shame. And not only hiding from one another and covering up from one another, they even hid from God when he came. They were walking naked and unashamed before God and before one another. But after they took the bait, it destroyed their relationship. It destroyed their soul. And that's what Satan is trying to do to us. And I'm excited starting in uh, June something, whatever the Sunday is, the 16th, the 13th, uh, we're going to start a series on marriage for the summer. And uh, we're going to be talking about the resources that God has given to us in this most wonderful relationship. So that's the first play that Satan does. He tampers with God's word. What did he really say? Tampered with the consequences, even tampered with God and his goodness and what he said and say he's holding something back from us. That's the first one. The second one is what I call the ground attack. It's the ground game that takes place. And by that, I'm talking about what we see in 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn there for a second, would you? 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to find here that Satan is looking for some conditions that are ripe for him to work. He's looking for a certain kind of person. He's looking for someone he can take advantage of and find some ground and find a place to stand. So listen to what he says here in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's looking for somebody to destroy. What's he looking for? What's he seeking to find that he can use to destroy you and me? Well, I think we see in passages like, uh, let me put up these PowerPoints, Pete, in Ephesians chapter four, be angry and yet do not sin and do not let sin go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. You see, when we hold on to anger, Satan gets a place to stand. He gets a place to work. He gets a base of operation. He gets some ground to stand on that can be his from which he can do his work. And so he's looking for somebody who's angry. And somebody that's hanging on to their anger and not letting it go is a place to stand and do his work. Here's another passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. Unforgiveness. 
Who are you not forgiving? Who in your heart are you holding on to and refuse to release what they did to hurt you to the Lord? And because what he's saying here is we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. He takes advantage of the person that hangs on to unforgiveness. And so when we're talking about the ground game of Satan and who he's seeking to devour, he's looking for someone that's got some sin in their life that they're hanging on to and they haven't brought into the presence of the Lord for the Lord himself to deal with. I'm gonna show you a whole bunch of other areas in this PowerPoint because uh, if you look in scripture, um, each one of these has a reference to Satan and the context and how Satan can use these things, okay? So these are different areas of ground, not just unforgiveness, not just anger, but these are other things. You've got anger and forgiveness. We just talked about selfishness. What did Jesus say to uh, Peter when Peter said, no, Lord, never to you, but he says, Get behind me, Satan, for your interest is upon man's interest and not upon God's. When we get all caught up in our own self, we become a place where Satan can work just out of selfishness, pride, immorality, worldliness, unbelief, a bad conscience. And then um, we talked about this passage the other day Anything you love more than Jesus, we saw that in Revel. How did they defeat the Satan? Because they loved him, because they loved the Lord even to death. There was nothing that they loved more than Jesus. There's nothing that Satan can grab onto and say, I can use this against them because they'd rather have this than Jesus. Is there anything we love more than, how about ancestral sin? Especially satanic, if there's been some kind of satanic worship. Lack of marital sexual fulfillment becomes an area that Satan uses to trip people up. Idol worship and idol objects. You know how many times I've been involved and people have called the church and said, you know what, um, I'm having spiritual warfare issues. And when we went to their house and we prayed through it, how many times there were objects that were there that were dedicated to Satan and used in different kind of uh, occult practices, that when that was removed, the, the issues were resolved. So the question is, is Satan is looking for something to use. He's looking for something in my life that he can find a place to stand to do his work to take advantage of me. Now, there's two exceptions to that. Uh, one of them is actually Job. We know that. Job was the most righteous man on earth. It wasn't that Satan used sin on Job, but it was a battle point where God was using Job as an uh, opportunity to uh, do something which we find by the end of the book God never explained to Job what happened. He was doing purposes that are higher than we can understand. We know one of those purposes was is that he was showing Satan that Job was not a paid lover and that he'll love me no matter what you take from him. Because he said, you know, if you, if you took this away from Job, surely then he'll curse you to your face. And so that was the battle point. So sometimes we may be going through extreme difficulties 
um, that Satan's involved in because we're just the battle point that God is using that we don't understand. The other exception is Paul. Remember in Revel, uh, that revelation in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul was told that he received such, so many and such great revelations about the Lord that God gave him a messenger from Satan to buffet him to keep him humble because of the great revelations he had. So here's God using even Satan in the lives of some of his best ministers to do things in their lives to keep them humble. And so what what is Satan looking for? He's looking for ground. He's looking for something to use in our lives that we haven't given to Jesus to become a base from which he can work not only his destruction in our souls, but his destruction through us to those that are around us and close. So the first play is what? He's gonna try to twist God's word. It has to do with God's word. The second play has to do with our own hearts and any sin that's in our heart that we haven't presented to Jesus and brought in and asked him to clean it up, sanctify us. The third play is this. It's what I call the goal line defense. I'm speaking to football fans this morning. You could follow me with these different things. You know, we we got the plays in the huddle. We've got the ground game. Now we're talking about the goal line defense. You know what that is. That's when they're near close to score, and that's probably what the Cowboys used against the Bears when they were inside that 10-yard line those four different times in the game. You get your goal line defense in there. And what you do is you get your biggest, strongest players and you stack them all up here because all they gotta do is maybe get a few more yards or maybe even a few feet to get into the goal line to score. And so they get this this team of all these big and strong people and they're lined up together and now they're, they're trying to come and they're there to stop them and keep them from moving even an inch. Now, in spiritual warfare language, that's what we call a stronghold. A stronghold is, a, is what's known as a fortress. It's something that is well-secured and protected. So, you know, in the military world, you know, so they're, they're here to fight their enemy and they've got this place which is their base of operation and they got this fortress around it, it makes it hard for their enemy to get into. Well, Satan does the same thing. He builds a fortress in our lives. And often through the ground, and we're gonna look at it in a moment another way, but often through the ground, he finds a base of operation and the longer we don't deal with it, guess what? The more he builds his stuff into our life and our heart, the more that the, you know, he brings in his equipment, his supplies, and other demons, and now they're, 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 he's become a stronghold, and it's hard to move even an inch in that area of my life because it's become a stronghold. It's no longer that I'm hanging on to it, now it's hanging on to me. And everything I try, I just can't seem to get free of it, and I can't move. It's called what the scripture calls a stronghold. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10.
2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 4 and 5. Um, Paul is talking about the warfare while he lives in the flesh. He is a human living in this earthly human world, but he doesn't war according to the flesh. And then he says in verse four this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not made of human things. It's not the stuff that humans do to fight their wars, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, strongholds, well-secured things that don't budge easily, easily. So God's weapons, prayer, worship, the word, fellowship, you know, the list goes on with the things that the, the Holy Spirit that God has given to us who are divinely powerful and he uses them to tear down and to destroy these fortresses, these well-secured areas that Satan would have in our life. Now, it's interesting, I love the way he goes into verse five because he says we are destroying. What we see at the end of verse four, these powerful weapons destroy fortresses. It says in one word, fortresses. Verse five, we're destroying, and now he's going to expand upon and explain to us what these fortresses are, what these strongholds are. See, where he says in verse four, Specifically, we're destroying fortresses. Verse five, he expands and tells us that we are destroying this. Speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Speculations, false reasoning. That's what that is. It is reasoning that's not built on truth. Matter of fact, we're gonna start a series in the fall called Truth. And the heart of this passage is so important to this thing because we're living in a culture where Satan has built in strongholds. And by the way, that's what this passage is speaking to first and foremost is because he's talking about the false apostles that we're bringing in reasoning that was not built upon truth, reasoning that's false. We can talk about the, the natural world that, that brings in reasoning that's not built on truth but is false, that has been so bought into by the culture that now it's become a stronghold. Because what we find is false reasoning, that's speculation, in every lofty thing. This is man standing up apart from the knowledge of God, apart from the wisdom that God has given to us and the knowledge he's told us about in his word, standing up and claiming, hey, we got this and we got this answer. We don't need God and we're doing things apart from God and we got all this. So here he is. These divinely powerful weapons are designed to destroy false arguments that are here in the culture. And by the way, in the church, because that's part of where his audience was at that time. He's speaking to the church in Corinth. And because there were false apostles coming in that were teaching things that weren't consistent with God's truth. 
And he's using these divinely powerful weapons to destroy and tear down these lies. Satan is the father of lies, and he works by building lies into the culture, into the church, and into our hearts. And this is a stronghold. It's something that is so deeply ingrained in my life. It's a lie that is so built on false reasoning. Whether reasoning has come from poor Bible teaching, or whether it's come from philosophy, or politics, or the world around us apart from God, anything raised up against the knowledge of God. Our weapons are divinely powerful for tearing them down. And I want you to note this. These strongholds, they're not just passing thoughts in my mind or in your mind. It's not just passing conversations and words. You see, it's the mindsets that are behind them. You see, it's one thing to, uh, I, I was praying about this morning for my, it's one thing to receive every word you're gonna speak and say, you know, I, I'm going from word to word versus when you have the mind of Christ, guess what? Your words come out of this mindset that's like Jesus. And the more that I study this book and the more my mind gets transformed, the more I think like Jesus thinks and I, I think the way that God wants me to think, then guess what? My words and my arguments and my reasoning is gonna come out of the mind of Christ that's been shaped by the word of God. And so what we have here is he's not just talking about, so we take it in the culture. Somebody says something, we start fighting and arguing with what they say because we disagree with it. We need to ask ourselves, what's the lie behind that that's driving that conversation and that way of thinking? And I need to ask in my own life, those areas where Satan has strongholds, what's the lie that has been built into my life that I have believed that I have so long have allowed to define and be entrenched in my life that I'm believing that's producing these thoughts, that's producing these words, that's producing these actions. You following me? Brothers and sisters, we gotta get to the mindsets behind the thoughts in our lives, in our culture, even in our church when we might be practicing in a way that's inconsistent with what the Lord would have for us. So we've seen three plays of the enemy. That like the cowboys, now we know. He's gonna to try to twist God's word. He's gonna to try to get us to not get in it when we do, to misunderstand it, to forget it, to uh, misapply it, you know, misinterpret it, all kinds of things. His first attack is against God's word. His second attack is against my own soul and uh, what he's gonna do there to find sin to work with. And then his third attack is against truth. He's attacking truth because he's the father of lies and every word he speaks is a lie because he's a liar. Those are the words of Jesus. That, that isn't just me kind of saying that. You see, because his nature is that he's a liar, everything comes out of his nature is gonna be a lie. And Satan works to control our lives and our culture through lies. 
And when people buy those lies and are convinced by those lies and say that's true, Satan's got a stronghold. And I'm concerned for us personally in that area of stronghold, by the way. Many of us have got mindsets of lies that have been built in through our parenting, through our past, maybe it's past church experiences, maybe it's past relationships with people, maybe it's teaching you learned in college. I don't know where it came from, but somehow you bought into some lies that are raised up against the knowledge of this book. And you're starting to believe those lies. And you're starting to interpret yourself and define yourself and identify yourself by those lies. That's a stronghold that Satan is using to keep God's people enslaved from eating freely of all the trees of the gifts he's given us in Jesus. So this is what we need. Psalm 36 says this, for with you is the fountain of life, amen. Are you looking, there we go back, There's something outside of Jesus, outside of God, where you're gonna find life? No, it comes from him. Satan's gonna tempt us. No, no, God's not enough. You need this, you need that. Knowing him is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. The first light in this verse is referring to God's light. In your light, God, when you shine the light by your Holy Spirit, because God is light, when you shine the light by your word, at the entrance of thy word, it gives light. When God's light shines into my life, I see light. The second light is my light. And what I need is for God to shine his light into the core of my being to see where maybe I've twisted God's word or maybe some sin I've been hanging on to or some ways of thinking that have become so deeply entrenched in me that are really not built and are raised up against the knowledge of this book. We need God to shine the light. I want to encourage you, this isn't about you going and searching out your life. This isn't about you going home and starting to write it out and figure it out. This is about coming into the presence of God and saying, God, my heart and life is wide open for you. I need you to shine your light into the darkness. Satan works in the darkness. Satan is a liar. And you know what? No amount of human effort and human weapons can ever defeat that. But when I come and say, Lord, here I am in prayer, and I open up my heart to you, and I invite you by your spirit to search out my heart and see if there's any hurtful way in me, Lord, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's when the Son sets you free. And if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So I'm gonna close in prayer. And we're going to give you a couple minutes just to reflect. I encourage you to do what I just said. Open up your heart before the Lord and invite him to search you out. This isn't about you figuring it out. It's about God searching you out and him turning on the light. So Lord, I want to pray for us right now that Lord, you would do that. 
We're gonna be coming before you. And Lord, our heart is is to open up our lives before you and allow you, Lord, to search us out and to try us and see if there's any hurtful way. Is there any place in our life where Satan has got room to work? So Lord, I just come to you and I invite you now, shine your light in this room, shine your light on this church, shine your light on our hearts, shine your light on mine, Lord. What are those lies we're believing? What is the ground that Satan has in our life? Lord, where is it with your word that we got it wrong? So Lord, I just pray that you, we would hear the voice of the Son of God speaking to our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Take a few moments personally with the Lord to reflect before him.